1: Since you wasn't up on a lot of judgment, my own sweet time didn't teach what I thought.
2: I don't recognize you for this anymore. I don't want to be defeated. I don't want to be
0: defeated. I don't want to be defeated. I don't want to be defeated. 200 episodes. Can you believe it? We did it, my sinners. We did it. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I'm your host, as always, for the past 199 episodes. Oh, it's exciting. Episode 200. And when I started this thing, I never thought, I would get to episode 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 or 200. It is absolutely incredible. There are so many people to thank. But first and foremost, I want to thank all the members of the All Access Club, my sinners. They pledge every single month as little as $6 a month. That's what they do. Some of them give up to $75 a month. Incredible people that believe in what I do and believe in these conversations that I bring to you every single week with some incredible people. Some some amazing insight gets passed, you know, on this show. And I, I'm really I'm really proud of it. But I'm especially proud of the guest today. Mr. William Duval of the almighty Allison Chains is on the program, a legend in his own right, a legend before he even joined Allison Chains. Wow. What an amazing past and such a perfect guest for episode 200 because just of where he comes from, you know, I'm a punk rock guy. I don't shy away from that. It's important to me, the punk scene, the hardcore scene. That's where I came from. That's where he came from. Now he's in this huge band, one of the biggest rock bands of all time. And uh, I really do appreciate him taking the time out of his, I'm sure, very, very busy schedule with his solo work he's doing now and everything else to speak with me. So William Duvall is here. This is very, very very exciting. Some other people to thank. I want to thank everybody at Jabberjaw Media for the first, whatever it was, 100 and something episodes. Um, I have moved on since then, but I especially want to thank Nick Bunda, who was over there in the beginning, who gave me the confidence to believe in this show and believe in whatever skills I guess I possess to uh, keep this thing going now for 200 episodes. And everybody over there over the years, it has been a wild ride. I want to thank everybody who has told a friend, who has told a loved one about this show. People are discovering this thing all the time. And that's so cool because I get emails every single day from someone who says, Shane, I just found out about your show. It's awesome. I've went back. I've listened to like, some people are like, I've been binging it, dude. I've I've listened to like 50 episodes this last week. It's like, that is absolutely crazy, but so cool. And I do want to thank all the people that do email me. Those people every day that take time out of their busy schedules to tell me that they appreciate what I do. I also want to thank all the amazing guests that have taken time out. All the publicists that deal with the scheduling with me—sometimes that can be a challenge. They go out of their way to send me the photos, to send me the logos. I want to thank all the incredible sponsors we've had over the years: Rockabilia, Loot Crate, Iconic, Casper, Haven Life, Soundrink, Seat Geek. So many amazing sponsors that have believed in this thing. And that's what it comes down to. I am just so amazed. I am humbled. Is that the right word? I I don't even know. People use the word humbled in, I think, the complete opposite way of what it means. But I just, if you can't beat them, join them. I don't know. But I am humbled that so many people actually care about This little thing that I started because I thought the name was funny. So, 200 in, and I know I'm going on and on. I really just want to say thank you to everyone listening. If you're hearing this, you are not just a little part of this, you are a huge part of this. And thank you so much. But again, the first people I thanked, I have to thank them again, all the members of the All Access Club, because they are what kept me going through the times when I was like, oh my God, I have to do another episode, I'm busy with all this other stuff, and oh, and am I like, am I, am I fading away? Am I asking the same questions? Am I, you know, am I doing okay? They believed in me, and they gave me the confidence, and they put up their hard-earned dollars every single month to keep this going, They allowed me to do bonus episodes and provide that bonus content and make merchandise and do the cool patches and really take a lot of interest in the little details about the show. And thank you for asking questions you know, for me to ask the guests and people coming on and co-hosting episodes with me and all the incredible meetups we've had and Centerfest 1.0 in Texas and Centerfest 2.0 in Norfolk, Virginia and Centerfest 3.0. Who knows? I'm thinking Vegas, baby Vegas. But regardless, I just want to thank everybody so, so, so much. I love you all. Well, I'll get to the normal business of the show before we jump into the conversation. You can always email me. Let me know what you thought of this episode and any other ones you wanted to listen to. If you have suggestions for upcoming guests or really anything else, hit me up. The email address is syndrome at gmail.com. I read all my email. I really try hard to get back to everybody, I've got a bit of a long queue right now. I'm planning on just spending a couple of hours and busting out all the emails. So if you did email me like three months ago, you might still be getting an email back. Because I'm just going to go dig and be like, yo, I, uh, I saw your email. Thank you. I know it's a little irrelevant, but I will still respond to it. If you want to help out the show, and I know I've mentioned it at least twice already, check out The Lead Singer Syndrome all access club that's right for as little as six dollars a month that allows you to join an incredible community of like minded people fans of the show and it gets you interaction with them interaction with me access to lead singer syndrome merchandise we got a pretty cool halloween drop we just did patches sent to your house every three months a welcome card from me. We run contests. We're doing a Secret Santa. We do March Madness every spring. We got a couple fantasy football leagues going right now, which I'm dominating, by the way. Anyway, the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash access. That is what keeps the show going, so check it out. The link again, in case you missed it, leadsingersyndrome.com slash access. All right. Let's get into it. Episode 200 with the man. Here he is, Mr. William Duvall of Allison Chains. Hi, hi, how are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. Sorry, I uh, yeah, I thought we were doing it at 12 and I was still driving back to the studio here, so uh, here I am. Great. Yeah, man. So, uh, first of all, congrats on the solo record. That's a long time coming.
3: Thank you, man. Thank you. Yes, indeed. <laughs>
0: After all these years, I mean, all the projects you've done, and I want to talk about a bunch of them, especially some of the early days, because, I mean... We're both, you know, come from punk and hardcore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want to talk about that, but you know, you're what fifty in your fifties now, and finally Two, here yeah, comes 52. you know uh, uh, your first solo record. It's and it's it's a very cool record.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Um, if ever there was an album with which to. Uh, um, make that break and get over the trepidation of releasing music under my own name, it would be yeah. this album because it's just, it's as solo as a solo album can get, you know, and it would have, it, it would have yep, felt ahead. inauthentic to call it anything other than, than what it is. You know, it's William Duval one alone.
0: It, it really is. And I love the title and I love, I love that you did that. And I have that right here in my notes, you know, it's a true solo album, literally just acoustic guitar and vocals. It sounds like you're in a room playing and from what I've right. read, that's pretty much what it is.
3: Yeah, that is what it is. And yep.
0: I mean, there must have been a temptation to, you know, add some other instrumentation at some point. You know,
3: nah, not really. I mean, I, 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 uh, I always felt like there were um, songs from all phase, virtually all phases of my career yeah. that would lend themselves to a solo acoustic presentation. You know, there were, there were songs that I had previously recorded with comes with the fall right, and there right. were, um, you know, even going back to the mad fly days before comes with the fall and that sort of thing. Um, and I, um, so when I went into the studio to, to, uh, Uh, initially i went into the studio just to record what i thought was going to be a demo for Hmm. till the light guides me home um and i was thinking of um maybe giving that to another artist to record i was thinking of maybe uh producing a record for this artist and so um that was the impetus for going into the studio. I just like laid that song, that song down really quickly. And I thought, well, this way I'll just have it. And then I can <laughs> present it to this person and that sort of thing. And then once the engineer and I heard it back, it was like, Whoa, man, like that's, that's pretty good. You know, and <laughs> like you may want to rethink giving that away. Yeah, I'm going to keep and, that one um, for myself, <laughs> you know? And, and so, um, and I was like, well, you know, I'm here, the mics are set up and, and that song went down so quickly um why don't I just go ahead and see if I can lay down a few more of these songs that you know older songs that I've yeah. always thought would present well in this setting and so i i did and and walked out of there with eight songs recorded in in basically an afternoon and um and uh just kind of held on to them didn't really know what if anything I was gonna do with them uh if they'd ever see the light of day at all and and Um, so in driving around occasionally, just putting those songs on Mm -hmm. and listening to them, or occasionally they'd come up, one of them would come up in a shuffle play or something like that. I just thought, you know, this, this is, this is sitting well together and, and this could be the makings of an album. If I ever wanted to make an album like this, you know, but, uh, and eventually that, that is the conclusion to which I arrived. And and (laughs) I went, I went back in and, and, laid down a few more songs in a single evening just to kind of make it a proper long player. But at no point was I ever thinking, Oh, you know, and I'll add this and I'll add that, or I'll get this person to play it on or that. It was always like, if this is going to come out at all, it will be like this and nothing else. There will be no further um, adornments on this thing, no instrumentation, no production of any kind other than what you're hearing. And it was just all about capturing these performances in such a raw way, Absolutely. and I felt like that that would, you know, an, an understanding, of course, that that's a you know that can be a really big request, you know, a really big ask of the listener to kind of sit through an entire album of ten or eleven songs with just one guitar and one voice or you know whatever. But I felt like, you know, hey man, there have been other performers who've who've done this, you know, whose albums I've really loved, you know, for all my life. I mean, yeah. Joni Mitchell and Dylan and, and, and so on. And I, of course, I remember back when I first met Jeff Buckley, he was playing mm. by himself, you know? And so wow. there were, there wow. were precedents for this kind of thing. And I just thought, you know, this could work and, 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 um, you know, if I'm going to take the risk, let it be that kind of risk, you know what I mean? And, uh, so yeah, it just, it, it just felt it, it started feeling right. The music was always right. And eventually I got my own mind right with the idea of just putting this thing out and doing it under my own name.
0: I yeah. love it. It's, you know, it's funny. Some of those comes to comes, um, some of those old songs that comes with the fall songs, you know, they take on such a different life when you strip them down to, you know, just an acoustic guitar and a voice, but in some yeah. ways they're better. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. You strip away some of the, I don't know, I don't want to say like the era, but you know, the early 2000s era, that there's a style of production and everything. There isn't much of a production at all. So you just hear the raw song in its original intended form. It's, it's different, but yeah. it, also, it also makes the songs, it makes you feel very vulnerable, you know? Right. And it's, putting out a solo record is a scary thing anyway it is but it's just it's such a interesting decision and i think it must speak to your personality that you have such thick skin and you're okay with having this not be something that you've perfected and agonized over every line and every performance like i'm sure you've done in previous projects you know with some of your some of your old bands well you know
3: actually on on the with the records that i've produced my you know the i've produced basically every record i've ever made except for the alice records since about 1995 and with those albums and with those bands and with and with bands that uh i've you know for whom i've produced albums where i'm i'm not i'm not a member of the band yeah um it's always a matter of working very quickly for me, and and that was born out of necessity. Learning yeah, to sure. work that way, sure, um, you know, comes with the fall. Made all of our records in 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 days. You know what I mean. There was wow. no weeks or months of hanging out in the studio and playing pinball and whatever else. You know what <laughs> I mean. And, yeah. and ordering takeout. You know what I mean. It's like <laughs> we didn't have the luxury of that. And so, I mean, the year is one that our second album the year's is one is recorded in like you know 3 days you know what i wow. mean and and that's recorded and mixed and 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 uh there's about 5 or 6 songs on there where the basic track has it we're playing live off the floor i mean so the vocal the 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 guitar on the left speaker and the bass and drums are all live there are um you know i mean we have records where there's live solos on you know like there's no scratch anything when we recorded. There was never the time, the money, nor the inclination. For me, it was always about we're either ready or we're wasting everybody's time. So yeah, like in the early rock records that I've loved so much, and a lot of the albums that I you know have loved all my life, whatever era they're from, they were made under similar circumstances by people who were under the gun and and who just had to get it out and uh. So I really appreciate that way of working. And and, um, so I actually have have not ever had the luxury of uh, pouring over every line and this and that with records that I myself have produced. You know, now the Alice records, that's a whole other thing. Uh, You know, like like seasons are changing and, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like presidential administrations are coming and going and, you know, and we're still, like, we're still, uh, you know, we're totally still working yeah. on track five you know what I mean so it's like <laughs> sure. but but I mean you know different strokes and all that and I'm you know it's fine but I'm just saying like I've never had that and so with my records it's really more about capturing the immediacy of a of a of a moment and uh, and I feel that it stands the test of time very well and I I I think all the comes of the fall records have stood the test of time, and they will continue to, and and I think this album will as well.
0: Absolutely, no. It's funny you speak. You know, you talk about the old, you know, the old days before, you know, when when bands were still recording to tape. You know, yeah. Or, or well, ADAT, comes with the falls.
3: Uh, all of our albums, all of our studio albums, are recorded to tape. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, that was recorded stu- to two inch ma- and mixed a half inch. Yep, every exactly. one of them. Exactly.
0: Yep. And you know, back then you had to be good. You yeah. Had, like nowadays, you can get away with you know, kind of subpar performances, you can fix things. I mean, I've, I've recorded songs where we've gone through with guitar, pretty much punching in like every note, or at least every chord, you know, you can do that now. A lot of people don't realize that that's the way a lot of modern records are recorded. But, you know, I always say like, and I mean, I'm being a bit facetious, but it's like, if there was no auto tune, I don't know if I'd have a career. (laughs) Cause like, I'm an okay (laughs) singer, but I mean, auto tune, you know, sometimes it's like on those early days when we didn't have a lot of time, it's like, Oh shit. We just put it through the auto tuner and it's half decent. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It isn't like, it makes a difference. It's, it's really is crazy.
3: Well, I mean, you know, I, I came up in the era of tape, you know, and, and, uh, you know, when I was a teenager in in the early punk days, that was, that was all there was. And, hmm. uh, You know, and and you know, of course back then what we were dealing with was more of a a prejudice on the part of a lot of engineers and studios and things that what we were doing was not music. You know what I mean? Like there was a general feeling like, oh, this is just noise and all that. But whatever whatever it may have been, we were extremely well rehearsed because that is all we did was lived we lived for playing and we live for being together and and being as tight as humanly possible with each other and with the music and so whatever value judgments that some you know old fogey engineer might have put on it they couldn't deny the fact that it was just this blistering tornado of music and what we were doing we were doing it on purpose you know what i mean and so um and it was always, again, in those days, oh, my God, it was always done very quickly and, and again, out of necessity. So I always came up making records that way, it seems. And, uh, and you know, recording to tape forces you to make decisions. You don't have Endless tracks to just no. Well, if that doesn't work, doesn't you know? And the whole thing too of you know, as you alluded earlier, it's like you don't even have to know your songs now when you go in the studio oh, when you're recording. You're like, so right. You can rearrange the entire thing like there in the in in the box, so to speak, like yep. in the computer. You can re, you can do. I mean, it's just uh, you know, it's interesting. Now it 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 it. it I don't think it will ever make uh, a mediocre artist a great artist. And I think that there are great artists who can, you know, they'll use whatever tools that they have and still come out with something that's compelling no matter what uh, devices were used to make it. Um, but uh, for me, you know, I love all kinds of music and I've played a lot of different kinds of music, but I love rock and roll records and for me uh rock and roll records and recording rock and roll music is all about the immediacy and capturing the moment like yes as as much or more than i mean you know yes. jazz records are very much the same thing they they you know you could never have a legitimate jazz band or jazz combo in my mind that that is going in and pro toolsing everything to death those guys no those guys they go in they play it it is what it is there you go we're done you know what i mean and and for me the rock bands that i've loved they were able to do that as well and that's how i came up that's what i've always done and and um as i say i think it uh it forces you to make decisions you 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 must make choices you must know what it is you're doing and why and uh you know okay well we've got we got three tracks for all the vocals now so yeah. this is what we're doing lead is going on 12 we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh we're gonna volley back and forth there and get a few uh, a few takes of you know mixing to mono for the backgrounds and that's gonna be that drums you know what i mean you go in the first day it's like okay drums yeah we're uh we're getting drums on eight tracks. I don't care what's going on here. Yeah. If we can't, if we need more than eight tracks for these drums, then we need to all get the hell out of here and go <laughs> home. You know what I mean? Like we're Eight tracks, that's it. If we don't have a sound, we don't have any business being here. So it's like, that's the kind of stuff, that's the attitude that I've got, gone in with. And it's the only way this stuff would have ever gotten done. So you can imagine me going in just by myself, no band, I'm not gonna break with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know if I've got it or I don't. I know
0: if I got it or I don't. Oh you man, know? I love it. Well, you talk about the old days, and you're from Atlanta, and you were in the band Neon well, origi- Christ.
3: Originally, originally from DC, but oh, okay. yes, I, I moved to I moved to Atlanta at fourteen. Fourteen.
0: Guess. Okay, okay, good to know. Um, you were in Neon Christ, which is a band with a lot of history, um, pretty legendary band at this point, I'd say. And it's interesting, you know, Atlanta not known at all really for a hardcore scene in the 80s. DC, for sure. There's been books and movies and documentaries all about, you know, DC hardcore, but Atlanta not so much. What what was the Atlanta hardcore scene like in the 80s?
3: Well, it was non-existent when I moved here. (laughs) Right. And uh, and we were, you know, we had to be, you know, Lewis and Clark kind of hacking our way through the wilderness with machetes trying to create any kind of space for what we were doing and and we managed to do so but under a lot of uh, uh resistance and uh you know hassle from various powers that be but um
0: I can't even imagine
3: but you know it was it was really great and and uh, very very small in the beginning and uh very innocent you know and just a just if you if you were you basically everyone who had any kind of interest in that music knew one another because you had to. It was so small, you know? Yeah. And uh and eventually as it grew and more and more kids from the suburbs started coming downtown to try to, you know, find find the Metroplex or see Neon Christ. We gotta see you know, like Yeah. And it, was, and it was interesting because you know a lot of, a lot of those kids have gone on to, to, uh, you know, become well known in their own right. You know, I mean, Chris and Richie Robinson, they were they were, they were two of the kids that were sneaking down from the suburbs out of their <laughs> parents' house to come and see Neon Christ. You know what I mean? To do the forbidden thing.
0: Um, I think I read. That, I still I think I read that RuPaul was a fan. Oh, he was
3: very much so. Yeah, we've got, we've got him on tape you know screaming at the front of the crowd That's like we were playing playing the celebrity club and and uh in atlanta and possibly on back in those days and yeah so there were a lot of there were people who um who who uh you know t- i mean to this day i get adults coming up to me saying you know i got kicked out of school for writing your band name on my <laughs> school book you know what i mean that kind of stuff and so yeah it 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 was great uh we definitely pushed a lot of buttons, even some that we didn't mean to. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, when you got three different counties of cop cars like staking out your rehearsals, that's,
2: that's really that's,
3: that's that's heady stuff for like a sixteen-year-old. You know what I mean? It's like we're just trying to play some some rock music here. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, I guess in the south, and they they weren't they weren't ready for that. Did you? Were you into hardcore up in DC? Like, did you bring that down to Atlanta? Is this, like I started getting into it just as we were about to move and
3: i and i and it was just so tragic because i found out right after we moved about all the things going on with discord right and in fact one of the greatest bands but the right before we moved to atlanta i was actually living outside of dc in columbia maryland and i come to find out one of the greatest bands from that whole era void yeah void was from columbia maryland i mean you know like a little dot on the map <laughs> and i happen to be living there and then i find out after i move that one of the greatest bands you know like from that time also was living in that same little dot you know what i mean it's just insane it's but so um crazy but yeah i mean i i you know i i obviously loved the bad brains they were from southeast dc yeah. just like you know i had a lot of family there and and so there was a lot of inspiration from Washington for sure. But, you know, we were, you know, we're 11, 12 hours south by car. And so we were living in a very different world. And I mean, you know, in Washington, it was just a stone's throw to drive up to New York and play a show. And from there, just another stone's throw to play in Boston or Philly or, you know, New Jersey. And then the whole sort of Northeast- Uh, The eastern northeast, uh, the 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 northeastern whatever seaboard towns and all that. There's so much clustered right there that you could go and. And there's so many scenes. So
0: many great music scenes. Yeah,
3: well, because they were all you know they were all nearby and they could all give each other support and inspiration and whatever else. And and we were like, it was way more like you are in the (laughs) freaking desert, man, and you got to like make it work for yourself. And if you're going to play anywhere, it's like, God, the nearest place you can play, I mean, you know, that's worth anything is, I mean, at at some point, Raleigh started kind of becoming a thing because of our brother band, COC. Um, And, you know, the early COC were in somewhat of a similar situation as we were. They were not quite as bad because, again, they were six hours, five hours north of us. Um, But similar situation and we became very close very early on in like 83 84 like during the during the i for and I and then of course animosity which is still one of the great albums of that era and one of the great punk Absolutely. metal crossover albums ever um, but those were those guys were our brothers and and we played many shows together and and um, you know sometimes they would headline sometimes we would headline but very close and uh, and I still you know admire those guys and remain close with mike dean and reed and and woody to this day oh, so yeah. no
0: it's it's um, crazy the career they have corrosion of conformity has had it's like wild you know that they're still yeah. like after decades it's uh yeah and all the trains change, changes in music you know they people still come out in droves to see that band i i constantly hear about them you know still on big bills and still headlining big shows it's it's awesome
3: well, yeah, and I mean, and Pepper Keenan's a really cool guy, too, who came in, you know, later on in the picture and, and ha- has had a lot to do with with their longevity and why, you know, people still, uh, as you say, um, seem to care. Um, you know, I mean, that was the major label era of that band, you know. But, yeah. Right. But my, my my history with them predates all of that by a yeah. long way. And, and, and uh, you know, yeah, in those days, man, it was, like I said, it was very small very innocent, uh, dangerous to some degree. Um, you know, particularly with the cops. And then when the skinheads come in, that's a whole other, you know, horror show. Um, but, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I mean, what a great way to to come of age. I mean, just amazing, amazing way to come of age.
0: I love it. Another band you were in too was Blast from California. Yeah.
3: How did that come
0: about? Because you're from Atlanta. Um, did you move out there?
3: Yeah. Well, see the skinhead thing got heavy in Atlanta. I mean, like there was, I, I, uh, started hearing over and over again that there was a contract out on me.
0: Um,
3: I mean, and so there
0: a lot of black kids in, in the scene at all. No, was was Racism was an issue, I guess.
3: Sure. Yeah, it was. But also, um, also, you know, the, 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 political opposition as well so it was a double-edged thing and okay. and um you know it was just uh yeah it got it got it got heavy and so uh you know and, and, and a few of those guys i mean they you know this was not hyperbole you know what i mean these guys there were there were a couple of those guys that uh got thrown in jail for attempted murder on uh they dragged the the manager of the 688 club out of his own club and damn near beat him to death in his own parking lot in front of everybody. I mean, you know, they would do their stuff. Like sometimes they would do it in the, you know, behind closed doors in the dark, try to get 12 of them on one person. And they would just, you know, kick the person to death or whatever. But sometimes they would just do it like right out in the open, like they did with the 688 manager. And, and um, so it was getting worse and worse. And, and, uh, and then those guys, they you know, one of them jumped bail and and ended up you know being a fugitive, and so there was just a lot of stuff going on where it was like, whoa, okay, you know, and Neon Christ had broken up uh, in part just because it was so heavy. You know what I mean? Like our show started getting uh, shut down by the by the police, you know, and 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 you know the skinhead violence was was always imminent. And it felt to me like a lot of times those two forces were working together. You know, in other words, like if a skinhead would do something to somebody and then, the you know, let's say it even got to the point where the cops would be called and pick the pick the guy up or pick the guys up, the skinheads up, they'd just drive them down the street and let them out, you know. Wow. And I know that. I know that happened many times, you know. So there was just a lot of stuff where it was like, this is just so not cool and so unsafe and just like so i you know my band was no longer together and and there were even part of it too where there were internal divisions in that band in neon christ about how to handle all of what was happening because again we were just kids you know what i mean i mean you know and so uh the band broke up i was out without a band there's this dangerous situation happening brewing you know and and swirling around and at the same time, I found out about Blast. I'd gotten their first album, "The Power of Expression," um, and I really liked it. And you know, they were kind of doing a very sort of Black Flag inspired thing. And yeah. I was very much a disciple of of Black Flag and Greg Ginn, and and and, and beyond that, even just the whole SST culture to me right. was really impressive. What those guys were doing with that label. And, and, um, so, you know, and there I hear this like band from Santa Cruz kind of, they really had that sound like down. I mean, there were very few people who truly understood that sound, you know what I mean? And, and anything about how to achieve it. And I was kind of on my way toward that kind of understanding, you know, just the impact and the power and a certain kind of guitar sound and how you get, I mean, I played Dan Armstrong's because of Tom Verlaine and Greg Ginn. And right. then here comes Blast, and they're playing Dan Armstrong's. So there was just, again, there were about maybe half a dozen people in the world who were that <laughs> far down that rabbit hole. Right. You know what I mean? And so to to hear about those guys, is was like, oh, okay, kindreds. and Let's go. So I'd, ri- yeah. I'd, 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 I'd written them a letter. Just saying how much I dug the album, you know. And then I think I also mentioned, it, oh, yeah, in my band, we just broke up after three years, and, you know, and I'm kind of looking for something to do. And, you know, if it ever, you know, I know it's a long shot, but if it ever became possible, you know, just, you know, keep me in mind kind of thing. And ironically, Steve Boric wrote back, and he at that time was kind of the main music composer in that band and he wrote back really not you know this is back in the days of handwritten letters you know what i'm saying yeah. like straight up pen pals you know he wrote back and he was like yeah man thank you so much blah, blah blah you know and you know and and um that's so that's so that sucks about your band and all this you know and thing is we're really tight we've kind of been together since like grade school you know what i mean so we all grew up together and yeah i don't really think any of us is going anywhere anytime soon we're kind of you know in this kind of thing and but God, that's so cool. And, you know, look us up whenever you're out here, that kind of thing. Right. Real nice, you know, real nice. A few months later, Reed Mullen from COC comes down from Raleigh to Atlanta. And we go to see run DMC together at the Omni in Atlanta. And awesome, we're, you know, we spend that evening together and, you know, it was a cool show and everything. And, you know, all of us, you know, we were kind of in, in one way or another, we were into some of the early hip hop. And so, uh, Anyway, we're driving back. He's driving me back to my parents' house, in Decatur, and he goes, "So, man, you know, crazy about about Steve Bork, you know, like <laughs> leaving Blast, you know, he just left, and 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 those guys called me up, and and they they want you, you know." So I was like, "Wow, all right, you they know, so him just and like that." You. <laughs> well. Well, I'm saying like Steve left, you know what I'm saying? Like the guy who was the guy who written me and saying like, yeah, none of us go anywhere. He actually
0: went, he Uh, left. Oh, so they didn't have your, yeah. They didn't have your number or your, whatever, your contact, right?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. And then that, and again, it was like, you know, you, 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 it was so much harder to get people's phone numbers, you know? And, And so, so yeah. So they knew Reed because COC, I mean, COC was a touring, like, like, they were road dogs those guys yeah they toured you know so they'd gone to california many times you know and and they were just a little bit older than us so they were kind of you know in terms of like what was possible like they were always we always kind of looked up to them a little bit because like and reed always had the resources you know he had like his parents own this business and so there was always like he always had resources like oh there's a van oh there's you know there's there's uh you know, silk screens and presses to right, make right. shirts and 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 flyers and posters and, and there's money to you know to gas up the van and just go on tour or, or make a record or whatever. You know, there, there was always like a sense of industry there, you know, and they worked it, man. And so they'd been to California many times. They'd gotten to know the Blast guys. There was a bit of a kindred thing there as well because again, heavy music that's Powered by punk, but kind of has a little bit of a metal thing going on. And yep. we all like Black Sabbath, and we're not afraid to talk about it. and <laughs> You know what I mean? And, and Black Flag kind of liberated that even further with people when they started slowing down and doing their thing that way and growing their hair out. So right. it was a, there was a whole thing going on in the community. We were all a part of it in some way or another. Blast, COC, the guys in the So Christ. Uh, so they knew Reed because reed was the point person for kind of the region not just raleigh but almost like the southeast you know yeah everybody knew reed mullen everybody had his phone number everybody had his address mailing address and so it was like hey can you get in touch with that guy you know who wrote you know what i mean (laughs) like get in touch with the neon christ guy yeah so he did and 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 like you know like i said like a couple weeks later maybe at the most like i was on a plane you know what i mean and and with everything that i all my possessions you know
0: there you go that's
3: awesome eight an 18 year old kid like just sort of like what and all of a sudden i'm living in santa cruz so it was pretty crazy that's wild and we got
0: signed by sst
3: yes you did the label so it was great
0: that is very, very cool, man. So I I we've been talking so much about the old days. I do want to talk a little bit about you know some Alice and Chains stuff, which is what most people know you from. I find it so interesting that, you know, you didn't even get into Alice and in Chains until you were like in your thirties. You have this whole career already, you know, behind you, and it was this like new, you know, thing for you. That must have been such a crazy experience, you know, meeting Jerry and Obviously, the passing of Lane and and all of a sudden you're just in this machine, you know. Yeah, that just must have been such a crazy, a crazy time.
3: Yeah, it it was, and and yeah, and it. I mean it, it kind of still is, you know what I mean? But but yeah, back 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 then, very much a tornado on top of a hurricane on top wow. of another tornado, and yeah, it was, it was. It was definitely insane. Definitely, you know, trial by fire, sink or swim, whatever metaphor you want to throw on it. But yeah, it was a, it was a lot. It did was you, a lot on top of a lot. Did you meet Lane? No, no, I never did. He he had retreated into his own world very much by that point. It's interesting um, though. You must have heard so yeah. many
0: stories about him. You almost must almost feel like you kind of understand him at least, right? especially seeing his lyrics and all that. I mean, that's sure.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, and very early on when Cantrell and I started touring together when, you know, with comes with the fall kind of helping him out. Yep. Um, he used to say all the time, it's like, Oh man, he would have loved you and God, you would have loved him. We would, you know, you would have gotten along so great and, and you remind me of him in so many ways and this, that kind of thing, you know, like there was a lot of, there was a lot of that. Sure. And, and, um, um, yeah so yeah it all it all kind of you know I guess like seeks like or whatever yeah
0: right no I, I absolutely so, so how did it was there ever a time when you you know in the early days of talking about this like you meet you meet Jared Cantrell and you're kind of his backing band for him and you know like this is a Allison chains at this point had sold like what like 10 million records or something to like at least two number one albums or or maybe three and you know they're so well publicized about Lane and his his drug problem and being a recluse and all this when you were asked or to audition or, or to be in the band and take on this duty was there a part of you that that said maybe I just shouldn't do this or were you like I have to do this
3: well yeah I mean I, I think if it if it had been put to me um like you know do you want to uh take on the mantle and reconstitute this band and rah, 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 you know like all that then yeah i would have i would have probably um denied it just because you know yeah that's, that's yeah like i'm not i'm not gonna walk into that hail of bullets like knowingly, you know what I mean? Like, like (laughs) this is like, you know, like consciously like knowing ahead of time, yo, this is what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. You know? Um, but you know, what ended up happening was there were, there were several years of, uh, well, I mean two solid years of touring, like straight up like nose to the grindstone kind of touring, you know, four in a row, five in a row kind of stretches for two solid years with Cantrell and comes with the fall where we were doing double duty most of those nights right. opening and then uh, opening as comes to the fall and then coming out and closing the show at Cantrell. So, um, a lot of road miles there under the, under the, uh, under the bus. And, uh, you know, a lot of camaraderie of course, and, and so on. Um, and by the time we even get to that, so that all of that is transpired by the time we even get to 2006 and any talk of, of Alpha shows being back, played. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or just even shows being played under that name. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause, cause uh, there was a lot of caution about like calling it some sort of comeback even then, even from the very first word of it. Um, and so, and what, and what, the language that was used was, you know, just want to play some shows, you know what I mean? And yeah. and and kind of celebrate the music of the past, do a bit of a victory lap. And, it, and it, you know, and it's probably going to be one and done. You know what I mean? We'll we just go around and we'll do it. And so you have a number of things lining up at that time. Um, one being that, okay, suddenly Kenny and Inez... Are ready to do it as well as Cantrell. And uh, you've got the fact that Comes to the Fall has, and, and, and myself, we've, we've been in the mix for a while with Cantrell. Yep. And, and doing our own thing as well, you know? And in the midst of doing our own thing as Comes to the Fall, I had managed to put out three albums and a DVD, a live DVD of of our music so two studio albums and then a live album and then a live dvd to complement that live album the live dvd put me so far into the red that it was just like oh my Um, god you know yeah like so my fledgling label (laughs) was just hanging on by a thread and i was you know i was every month trying to you know figure out how to keep body and soul together and a roof over my head And I'd even taken a job as lead guitarist and music director with kind of a folk rock artist who was signed to a major label at the time. Um, Just again, you know, just keep it together. It's like, okay, like, and so I was doing that for a while by the time we get to 2006. And so, you know, and I, and I've got all this new music for comes of the fall ready to go. We just got to get in the studio and record it. And, and, there were just so many things I wanted to do, so many things that were on the cusp of being done, um, and then the everyday sort of hassles of life all kind of coming together, and 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 that's when I, you know, get this call like, "Hey, do you want to play some shows with us? You know, <laughs> we're we're gonna go we're gonna go around and and do kind of this victory lap thing, and we don't we don't even know how long it's gonna last, but it'll at least be like a few months of. Not having to worry about rent, you know what I mean? It's right, like, and I'm sure like,
0: these are big shows like, too, right?
3: Well, or did it you, know, start off, like, some, you know, it was it was weird because it, the first show was kind of the definition of big because it was the VH1 Decades Rock Live television wow. program with Heart. <laughs> so it was yeah. in an arena in an arena in New Jersey being broadcast for television. So it doesn't get much bigger <laughs> than that yeah no no pressure dude (laughs) right you know so there were things like that where it's about as much pressure as one could fathom but then you know then it was like a series of club shows you know and then it was like and then and then it was oh oh yeah and and you know we booked some shows in europe too and so so the next thing after playing like a handful of half a dozen club shows in the states. I'm in front of thirty thousand people in Portugal. You know what I mean. So it was just this weird, up and down kind of topsy turvy craziness, um, and uh, and all under the guise of, and we're just taking a victory lap anyway. You know, like we're not, you know, we don't have any aspirations beyond that, and we're just kind of, we don't even know how long this is going to last, and you know all right, that stuff. Right. So and it, it was kept like going right. I mean
2: pretty well, much kept going, right off and
3: on he, oh it's here we are 14 years exactly. later talking yeah. about it yeah. so it's like yeah so but, it, but i'm just saying at that time this was the language we were using amongst right. ourselves and and if it had been anything more than that i think it would have freaked all of us out yep. to some degree and uh of course in the in 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 the process of doing this so-called victory lap you know there's all you know there's there's guitars laying around there's long bus drives you know and there's endless waiting around you know that you do when you're on tour in hotel rooms and in backstage areas and and uh and then there's sound checks so you know with guitars laying around you're gonna play them and and new ideas are gonna form and somebody's yeah. gonna say oh that sounds cool or you know like what if we did add this to that you know And so that starts happening all over the world. And I think we did, like, about 34 countries or something in 2006 alone. Wow. And all of that waiting around and all those backstages and dressing rooms and hotels and long bus rides and so on, um, these new ideas start forming. And eventually it's like, well, you know what? We should just take these into the studio and see what happens. And that becomes the Black Gives Way to Blue album. Yeah. And so you know what I mean? Things happen step by step. That's what it is. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. One one of my favorite things that, that you guys did too, um, was the, the second album that, that you did with, with the guys, um, that little documentary that you put out, um, yeah. where you, where you played Nesta Cleveland,
2: the yeah. uh,
0: Rastafari. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and what I loved about it was not only was that like just such a, and anyone, it's on YouTube if anyone wants to check it out. I think if you search for uh, AIC 23 documentary, it'll yep. come up. It's, it is worth the 10 minutes. Um, all cameos from Lars Ulrich and Kim Thale and all these different people as well. But, um, uh, what I loved about it was that for the first time I can remember, Allison Chains was kind of like not taking themselves so seriously. You know what I mean? There was an element of your personalities and your humor and it wasn't like the da- the downtrodden story about the, the you know the, and I'm not going to downplay it, the tragic past of the band for what seemed like the first time.
3: Well, I mean, you know we're that's, that's a lot of how we are in our daily lives. Of course you know?
0: it is, exactly. So, but, but people so don't see that, it was you know? Just,
3: it was, it was, um you know we try to balance uh balance things out as much as we can you know because we know we know what the music sounds like and we certainly know what the band's reputation is and we live with that all the time but yeah i mean i think we undercut that with uh quite a bit of humor in our interviews and in (laughs) and in the uh the um Oh gosh, the the studio clips we put up during the making of Black is Way to Blue and okay, uh, yep. You know, and and uh oh gosh, even the even the the EPK, the electronic press thing, the video we did for the Black is Way to Blue album, it's like there's a there's kind of an interesting dichotomy going on where we are talking about what the band has been through and how we came together and all of that. But the whole time we're being made up as kiss, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Right. I did. See and, that. Then, and, yeah, then, I did and then, and then we that. get
3: in a car and go to a laundromat together, you know, just says right. kiss, you know, like doing our laundry. <laughs> and like, so there's always, there's always an absurdist kind of thing with, with what we do. And, and, uh, you know, AIC-23 is a good representation of that as well. And and, and more recently, the Rainier Fog video. Yes, um, yes. And so, you know, it's there. And, yeah, it's always there for people to check out, you know. But mm-hmm. that that reflects who we are when we are just the four of us amongst ourselves in the bus or in the dressing room or whatever. Like, right.
0: Yeah, there's, there, a, there's a human element There's a lot to it. of laughter. Even there's though a lot you're, of laughter. Absolutely. Even though you're acting. Uh, but your acting is so good. All, all four of you is like, it's so spot on. I was, I was very impressed by that. I, I, I loved it mm. so much. Mm. Thank you. So yeah, a couple was, more was, things. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. Um, I, I want you to plug some of the tour dates you're doing coming up. Uh, you got a lot of them. You're playing everywhere yeah. from, from St. Louis to Estonia. Uh, so, uh, talk to the people about that. What can people expect?
3: Well, uh, it's a 40 city world tour so far. And yes, it does take in the U S the UK and, and, uh, Europe. And, uh, it's, it's basically the one alone show. Um, it's going to, so the, the show is going to focus on the one alone album and, um, solo acoustic just uh it's gonna be uh, you know the audience and and you me and a guitar <laughs> yeah. you know and that's and that's about it and uh so very intimate venues uh for very intimate music and awesome. i think it's i think it's gonna be a good time and i hope everybody can come out
0: have you done a lot of shows and, like and the that tour,
3: before the, the tour dates are all on williamduvall.com there you go uh, by the way and uh, no, I've never done anything like this. I mean, this is, this is, <laughs> this is really unprecedented. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's a bit nerve wracking. <laughs>
0: well, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of like, cause I've done a, some shows like that too, where it's just, just me and acoustic guitar. And it's like, the, there's the things that you don't expect. Like if someone yells something in a small room, you kind of like can't ignore it. Like you can in an arena absolutely you know what i mean yeah. like you have to get good at those those like off the cuff like you know things and also yeah. make sure your guitar's in tune and you can hear yourself and, sure you know all that
3: yeah i mean it you know it's like yeah and that those are the things you could really i could really wind myself up about and and i just have to not do that and and for me it's really going to be like you know what i i feel like one, I'm going to have faith in the audience that sure, of course, people are people are going to be you know kind of coming there uh, with a great you know kind of attitude and expectation, and and they want to have a certain kind of experience that you know to come to a show like that, and so, and then I'm also just trying to have a, a belief in the music that the music sort of takes care of. Of everything you know, including me and the audience, you know, and it's like if I can just serve the songs well, then uh, all will be well you know um and uh, yeah, because that's the thing you just and you just have to try to have fun with it because things are gonna happen you know mistakes oh, yeah. are gonna happen oh, yeah. and, and all that stuff it's like and that's part of the that's part of the charm of a show like that is that um you know, I mean, those things happen with a band, you know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, you know, Alice has, you know, we've, we've made mistakes. We even had to, you know, like one guy starts the wrong song, you know what I mean? Right, you gotta like sure. stop, you know, and we've done that in, in, in front of arenas full of people, <laughs> you know? So it's like, these things happen or some, you know, you know, transitions are missed, you know, uh. Uh, lyrics are forgotten you know these things happen so it's like it, it's gonna happen in live performance anyway when it's just one one person me and a one instrument a guitar uh the the thing is you just gotta even take the same attitude or even more of the same attitude of just totally. having fun with it
0: you absolutely know? no but it, it is there is something very um liberating about playing by yourself like if you're playing and you feel like maybe you're playing a little too fast you can just slow down exactly if you want if you decide maybe you don't want to play this next song in the set list you can skip it or swap it yep. like there's so much like liberties that you can take and i think that that's a really it's just an uplifting feeling
3: totally totally exactly right yeah, yeah. so Great. yeah i mean it's gonna be it's gonna be cool man you know it's gonna be cool. Wonderful.
0: Are you playing Toronto by any chance? I didn't didn't notice it on the
3: the list. Oh God, I would love to. Uh, I th- you know we just weren't able to get there on this first go around, but I I want to do uh, I want to come back and 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 play Canada properly and you know yeah you should do all because I've got I've got you know I mean several of my some of my favorite cities honestly are are there and it's like and it's only right. That I that I get there with this show, so absolutely. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm sure that it's going to be nice to actually playing in cities. Like I saw you guys playing on the uh, the Corn uh, co-headline tour. I mm-hmm. saw you guys play in Michigan, actually. Uh, great show, great tour. Uh, but <coughs> when you do a show like that, you're always out, kind of in the middle of nowhere in some yep. shed, you know. So it's, yep. it must be nice to get back into a small club and be like, hey, I can walk around the city a little bit, you know. Oh, it's great. Uh, yeah, it's
3: great. It's great, you know, and especially when you can, you know, oh, I got a hotel and it's two blocks from the club, you know what I mean, yeah. or, or oh, you know, the hotel and the club both are located in like kind of a hip part of town, so I can, yeah. you know what I mean, I can get the kind of food I like, and I can go to the bookstore, and I can do, you know what I mean, like Absolutely, all that stuff. Man. Those those things make touring, you know, they they alleviate a lot of the the, uh, right. uh, the oh, hassles. I,
0: I assume you're going to bring least one person out with you on this tour, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to yeah. have
0: somebody kind of helping you out. Uh, oh,
3: absolutely. It's not. Yeah. It's
0: not that one alone. <laughs> you still have someone right. behind the scenes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah exactly. I'm. I'm, <laughs>
3: I'm not taking it that far. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, exactly, man. So uh, I, I'll let you go. I want. I have one little fan question here. Uh, I I'm sorry to who asked it because I deleted your name uh, from my notes, but they'll know who they are. Uh it's about your project draft tongue orchestra
2: mm-hmm.
0: with uh Brent from Mastodon and uh uh Ben from Dillinger how yeah. did the project come about and can we expect any more uh <clears throat> in the future
3: well it it came about just because um they uh they asked me like back in two thousand ten or two thousand eleven um uh about it you know and at that time they only had these really kind of rudimentary demos you know what i mean that were, there, were, there was no band it was just like oh it might be a guitar riff and right. maybe like a you know like a drum machine or something like that um and uh you know or just atmospheric noise you know what i mean <laughs> something like that you know it was very rude very sort of yeah rudimentary vague things but but i was interested just because of of who was asking, you know, and, um, and, and eventually we all got busy with our things. I know Alice, the Alice tornado fired up again and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and we were off doing our thing and, and those guys, you know, obviously were in a similar situation with being busy with their own band. So it was like it, it, the initial approach happened, then it kind of flew apart for a while. And then, um, um, Eventually, I ran into Brent Hines uh, at the grocery store (laughs) in Atlanta, and uh, he's like, Man, we should, you know, we should really do GTO, man, and all this. And (laughs) by that time, they had gone into the studio and recorded the music that you hear on that album, but they had no lyrics and no vocals. And so, um, well, I think there might have been there might have been a little bit of work that they had done with Juliet Lewis, but that ended up kind of not panning out, so you know they were kind of starting from scratch, I guess or whatever I don't know it was a there was at some point I got all that music soon after Brent and I had that grocery store encounter. I got all that music and <laughs> and it was like, okay wow, okay, there's a lot going on here, you know, as you would expect, like, um, so some of it was like, okay, where do I get a word in edgewise here? And, you know, and then other things were a little bit more straightforward, but I, I sort of took it on as like a challenge, Yeah. like as if I was writing for, you know, a film or, or, or like a stage show, a stage play or something like that. And, uh, and we, you know, came up with, with, uh, the broken lines album you know i finished all those songs and and uh recorded all all of my stuff you know just like they had recorded their stuff um and uh yeah and it's a it's a just a great album i feel like it's a high watermark in all of our careers and my only lament is that we didn't get to serve that record better in terms of supporting it live i wish we had played more shows right and um you know, we had a great debut at the Reading and Leeds festivals in England, and then we had um, we had a show at South by Southwest in 2017 in Austin. Wow! Yeah, and we had and we had a US tour booked, but then we had to cancel it because Brent broke his leg on his motorcycle, and so oh,
2: yeah,
3: we never got to you know really promote that record properly, and and um, I hope at some point we do because it does deserve it, and and I'm so happy that people bought that record when it came out, and I'm so happy that people continue to discover that music. Absolutely, you know? no, it's a very cool um, record.
0: And you take the three of you and the music, you know, you take the three of you guys and you you put your you, you know yourselves into a blender. That's not what you expect to come out. That's what I found really <laughs> interesting about it was was it was it's was, it was unique in a way that you didn't expect.
3: Well, that's cool, and I mean, I think yeah. you know we all like. We all like a lot of different kinds of music, you know, and so, um, you know, I think, uh, irrespective of whatever we're known for in our in our in our more widely known bands, you know, there's all these other influences always there with us that we carry with us all the time, and so um, that it was great to be able to let that out on that album, you know. Absolutely, man. Absolutely.
0: So, um, I don't know if the publicist told you, but this is episode 200 of the podcast. Wow. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a milestone. Nice. and Nice. Congratulations. For, thank you very much. And for episode, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but for episode 100, I had Tim from Rise Against on, and I had him pick the new theme song music. He picked a Fugazi song. So that's been, that's been the, the theme song for the last hundred episodes and now wow. it's up to you to pick the next theme song music. And the only rule is you oh can't my pick your goodness. own. Uh, oh my
3: gosh.
0: So yeah, so I figured it made sense because he so the, the first hundred episodes was Rise Against, and then I had Tim Mom for episode one hundred. And now I have a guy from DC, so it kinda works out. So it's, <laughs> so if you so I guess my question is if you had a podcast and you wanted a really like awesome, you know, kinda cool intro uh what would you oh my gosh come on it doesn't have to be punk or hardcore but it can be
3: wild what an interesting situation um (laughs) (laughs) i know i
0: didn't give you a heads up and i'll be honest i I did it not i did it on purpose because i love i love to hear the, the the wheels turning
3: oh my gosh well uh yeah i mean that's yeah that's that's really something um so many great things. I mean, if I had a pocket, I mean, you know, because I I know I'll hang up the phone. and I'll be like, oh, I should have said this. You know, well, you can but, call um, me back. <laughs> the fir- I mean, honestly, the, but I mean, the first, I don't know. Like, I, I, there's so many, there's so many great things. I think, I think something, um, you know, a bit anthemic is nice. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know and the first the first thing that came to mind was rise above by black flag because that's wow. just such a great anthem but um yeah so i'm thinking that okay uh, and then i'm trying i'm 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 freaking running my mind around here um, cuz there's just so many great things man like oh my gosh oh the big takeover by the bad brains ah uh, so oh, good. that could
0: be the one.
3: So good, so good, so good. Um and uh yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking uh Yeah, I mean I, I actually really like that. I like I like I like the big takeover because it I love the title and I love the song, you know what I mean? Right. And if you're going to and you're coming on with a podcast, it's like hey, you know, now it's my time. You know what I mean? And let's, it kind of comes on and announces itself in a cool way. You let's know?
0: do it. Well, for um, the next 100 episodes, that's what the listeners are going to hear.
3: The big takeover. So I hope and yeah, like and definitely it. definitely, definitely do the the Roar cassette version or whatever, like the Roar, okay. Roar Sessions version. I had it on cassette, so that's how we all know it, because it was a cassette-only release at first. But now it's on all formats. But yeah, the Roar... The um, oh, I love that it. version. I love That's how
0: specific you are, too. That's amazing. I hope I That's can the get one. the cassette and rip it just so it's like super authentic. No, it's
3: good. You know what? They, <laughs> they've, they've remastered that record a bunch of times now, and, and, and it's actually, it sounds really good in, in all the different formats, but like, definitely make make it that version though for sure
2: <clears throat> all
0: right man well dude thanks so much for taking the time and to uh to talk to me i'm gonna play one of your tunes now that's gonna be an easier decision which of your tunes should i play maybe track one
3: sure yeah
0: that one yeah was let's do it the light guys you shred on that too man thank you man thank you <laughs> well thank you william uh uh enjoy the rest of your day man i hope to see you around cool all right see you yeah Bye. thanks Light guides me home from William Duvall's amazing stripped-down solo record, One Alone. Definitely be sure to check it out. That's solo rips, huh? Love it. I want to thank William so much for taking the time to speak with me and for picking a new theme song, Bad Brains. The Bad Brains are going to be... Keeping the Anthem in D.C., which is very cool. I am a huge fan of the Bad Brains. I think this is going to kind of work, too. I'll have to see how it shakes out. But I am excited for a new theme song. I will be back next week with another brand new episode. 201, if you can count. Make sure... You hit the subscribe button, whatever you're listening to this on. And yes, please do what you can to spread the word on this thing. I think we're going to get to 300, maybe 400, and who knows? Episode 500, if I have anybody left. If there's any more bands, I don't even know. But thank you again. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you've listened to all 200, I appreciate it so much. Check out the All Access Club. And I will leave you with a tune. Here is from Rainier Fog and a great tune. I hear this on the radio all the time. Here is the one you know from Alice in Chains. Peace and love. See you next week.